0: Good morning. You can have a seat if you want. If you want to stand the whole time, it's your call. Uh, This week was the week of projects around my house. It seemed like uh, everything that could break did, Uh, which, uh, just so you know, Dylan saved my booty on Friday. Uh, I realized that my car needed brakes, and he knows how to do brakes, and I didn't. And so that guy knows how to do just about everything. So if you need brakes, call Dylan. Uh, I won't tell you what I paid them, but anyway. uh, But it's just one of those things that, you know, the car door broke, the couch broke, my barbecue broke, which is a big deal, Uh, probably the biggest deal. The brakes went out. It's just like I was talking to Carrie on on Friday morning. I was going, why does it all happen at once? Because it does, right? Uh, But I realized something in doing these projects. How you begin your project matters. If you begin the project and you only have the screwdriver when you're going to need about 14 other tools, including a torque wrench, which I learned how to use because Dylan taught me, Uh, you're going to be running back and forth to the garage the whole time. And the garage is downstairs and everything that I was fixing was upstairs. And that just makes a long, long project. And then you're tired because stairs. Who likes stairs? And so it's just how you begin the project matters. You bring everything you need to the place where you're going to start and then you can go faster and better. Uh, So how you begin matters. And the same thing is with prayer. Prayer. How we begin praying matters. And so we're in this series, Teach Us to Pray, about how the disciples asked Jesus that one question of how do we pray, and Jesus shows them, he gives them a model. Last week we talked about just kind of the philosophy behind prayer, why prayer is so effective and why God wants to hear our prayers and why we should pray. This week we're going to dive in to the Lord's Prayer because what Jesus does, it gives us a scaffolding on how we should organize our prayers as we begin to take on the practice of praying. And so he gives us in the first three words or three three phrases, gives us three areas where tells us how to begin. Uh, He tells us when you begin, start this way. He says, one, remember uh, who you're talking to. And then the next one, we'll get to this eventually, is remember where the person you're talking to is. And that'll be important. And then remember what the person you're talking to is. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be right in the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. That's in Matthew 6. And he begins this way. Remember who. And the first two words, and we love controversy in our, in our world. We want to be in, in it. We want to be around it. We want to you know, know the drama. If you want to know the drama in, the, in this section of the Bible, it's these first phrases. Especially the first two words. If you're looking for controversy, it's right here. Our Father. Remember who you're talking to, our Father. Now, this would have been kind of earth-shattering in the disciples' day. This is also earth-shattering in our day for different reasons we'll get to. But in that day, you couldn't say God's name without... Having to change your pen every time you wrote one little bit of the letter. and Then you would have to wash yourself and then come back, find a new pen. And it's hard enough to find one pen when you need it. Imagine having to find an assortment of pens. And so they'd have to change it. God's name was totally unapproachable. You couldn't even utter it. The term Yahweh was not supposed to be spoken of. It's the name that holy. And so then you have Jesus uh, saying, this is how you pray. And this is how you address your prayers. Our Father which would have been record scratch. What did you call him? Our father. And it's controversy in their culture. It would have been brand new. And it's in our culture too because of this. Our father figures in our world can be a major source of hurt and pain, a source of abuse, condemnation, scorn, maybe avoidance. And because of this, this whole idea of calling God father uh, makes it hard It makes it difficult because instead of a closeness with God, many people struggle with this idea of father. And so we want to have little or nothing to do with God, the father for some, because of our broken relationships with dads, uh, God is this constantly scowling, grumpy, disappointed. It's not a shock then that you think God doesn't like you and you don't want to talk to him. And so we avoid God. We try to change then because we're uncomfortable with this word father. We try to change uh, God's title to something that we're more comfortable with. And so we start saying mother God, Or, or uh, but then that's problematic because what if you have a troubling relationship with your mother? Now you're in the same boat as the father. What if you had troubling relationships with both? And now you're, what do we call God? So we come up with this idea of the universe, which is something that's popular nowadays, but then that creates something. It's impossible to have a relationship with the universe. Is the universe personal? No. It's space. It's large. How can you know the universe? That's the problem with this. We take issue with this, and I don't want to uh, diminish the wounds that we have from our families of origins, but we can't let our story take away what the scriptures are trying to teach us. We can't let our story change who God is. That's called creating a God in your own image or a God that you are comfortable with. And this was the very first command in Exodus. Don't create a God in your image. I am God, I am other. We need to be honest with ourselves and honest with the scripture. Jesus says, our father. We can't turn God into a figure that we're more comfortable with. That's that's idolatry. So instead of diluting Instead of adjusting, accommodating, stripping authority, it's time that we, the church, Christians who follow God, start to reclaim and redeem this idea of God the Father. Now, it's true, we can, we can even dive deeper if you want to, uh, God is not gendered. Any kind of gender thing that we put on God or even an angel is called anthropomorphic, which is a fun word that means assigning human deities to or human attributes to non-human things. We do it with boats. We do it with cars. We do it with everything. We do it with God, too. It helps us understand. But in God's case, it goes a little different. God has decided to introduce himself to us as father. This is God saying, call me dad. Call me father. He says in Isaiah 63, 16. But you, and Isaiah is saying this to God. But you are our Father through Abraham, though Abraham does not know us, or, or Israel acknowledge us, you, Lord, are our Father. the redeemer from old, or the redeemer from of old, is your name. So God's saying, "Look, I'm the Father. Call me this, this is who I am. This is how God has chosen to relate to us. However, there's something else happening here in the Lord's prayer that when we start... We need to notice because it can speak to a lot of us who struggle with this father language. For Jesus, God wasn't God who he happened to call father. For Jesus, he was the only begotten son of God. And so God was Jesus' father. And he's saying something here. He says, when you address God, address him as father. Or in other words, if you have a hard time with your dad, call my dad your dad. He'd care for you like your dad should, and didn't. He'll care for you like a father should. God then becomes our father. Therefore, we, as Christians, as those who follow Christ, can, as First John says, we spent five weeks in First John, can do this. We are called His children. We are adopted into God's family. We have a loving father. And our father is Jesus' father, and he's the kind of father that we could all either aspire to be like or desire to have. Look how Jesus describes his father. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The kid who goes off and, and basically rebels, sows his wild oats. I don't know if you want to call it that way, whatever. And then he comes back. And he has this whole speech lined up. He's going to come back to his father and say, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I'll just be one of your hired servants. And so he got up. This is in Luke 15. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, so he's walking down the long driveway that we all wish we had. And he sees the father, sees the son coming back. And what's the dad do? The dad embarrasses himself hikes up his tunic, ties it underneath himself. You weren't allowed to show leg if you were a dad or a, a male in that society. That was disrespectful, but this dad didn't care. Hiked up his tunic, showed some thigh, ran. We all see the people running in those embarrassingly short shorts. That's the image. And he ran, which is embarrassing, which he, and he then ran through town to meet this son of his. Why? Because he's a father, loves his kid. This is the type of father that Jesus describes. In that same story, that same father broke societal code again. And when the older brother who didn't rebel was a little bit hacked off that the son, that his brother who did rebel was getting all this attention, the father broke code and went out to get him again. He's the father who pursues us. He's the father who loves us enough not to hold things over us. He's the father who invites us in. This is a good father. Or if you go on, Jesus describes his dad again in Luke 11. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Sounds like a good dad. In Matthew 10, Matthew 10, it says this, are you not sold, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of the Father's care. And even if the numbers of your hair are all numbered, I have two, you're welcome, it's easier for me to keep track. Uh, So then, don't be afraid, you are worth more than any of these. This is how God the Father views us. He loves us enough. Isaiah then tells uh, this in Isaiah 49. He says, our father has engraved our names on the palm of his hand. He's tattooed us to him. This is the loving father. Our father is the one who blesses the weak and empowers the meek. He's the father who happens to be the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all life and breath, who holds all things in his hand. And yet he's the father who's on our side. We've heard the, sto- the, the Bible story that said, Blessed are those. The word blessed means, I'm with you. I'm next to you. My presence is by you. I'm never going to abandon you. And this is the gift that Jesus gives us. When we appeal to our Father, we're appealing to His Father that we get to call Dad ourselves. It doesn't mean it's easy, it doesn't mean that the Father wounds that have been created over time immediately disappear. But what it does mean is that you and I and us get to reclaim this notion of what a father should be. And in our culture, we're desperately in need of good fathers. We have a father who can, we can confidently approach and appeal to. We have a father who knows what it's like to walk in our shoes. We also have a father that those of us who are dads in the room can look up to and copy And those of us who can't wait to be dads in the room, we have a father that we know what to look like. We can see where we can correct where our dads might have misstepped. And then we can amplify the ways that they succeeded. We can be close to our father. And we need good fathers. Families need good dads. Dads are vital. It's not a position that we should ignore. It's not a position that we cover up. It's not a position that we make fun of, even though every TV show seems to. It's not a position uh, that we need to diminish. It's a mantle that you and I, fathers in this world, need to pick up and carry with honor and dignity. Jesus says this, look at my dad. That's one, how to be a dad. Two, this is the dad, the father that you are appealing to. And he calls him this word, Abba, which is a close, dear name to call a father. It's daddy. It's one of the best phrases I hear when I walk in the door. Daddy. It's an excitement. It's a closeness. It's a dearness. Jesus says, call him father. Why? He calls you child. So you can call him father confidently. This is how we start. Who are we talking to? We're talking to a father who loves you. A father who erases the father pain that came before you. A father who's close to you. A father who wants to empower you. Who wants to give you what you ask. Who wants to give you good things. Who's not scowling. Who's not angry. Who's not hacked off about something you did four years ago. This is a different kind of dad. And we get to call him that. So when we start our prayers, it begins with our father. The next uh, aspect that Jesus tells us to remember as we're starting is remember who your father or where your father is. Our father, what's the next word? In heaven. Uh, If the words our father shook things up a little bit, this shook things up. Maybe not as heavy as our father, but just as much. Uh, The word that is used for heavens is the word oranos, which means heavens or skies, it's not heaven as in the place that we go to when we die. That's a different kind of heaven, different word. This is the word heavens. It's plural. It means the sky above you. And what's weird about the sky above you? It's also the sky above the people up in Shoreline. It's also the sky of people down in Tacoma. It's the same sky that's huge in Montana. It's the sky Over all of the earth. It's the sky over the person you like. It's the sky over the person you don't like. It doesn't matter where you are, or for that matter who you are. This is the God that's over you. Our Father in heaven, God is the one over anyone and everyone, and also everything and anything that is in our world. Look how David says it in Psalm 33 From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything uh, they do. The Hebrew word that David uses is the same word that Jesus uses here, but this one's called shamayim. Uh, It means, guess what? Heavens, the sky, the celestial bodies, space. Not a place, not a specific place, but all of it. Not only is God over everyone, everywhere, he's the God over every thing, every situation, every heartache, every celebration. There's not a place where God's presence can't reach. There's not a place where he can't look into. Our Father's not someone who's limited by our location or circumstance, which would have been different from what they're hearing that day. For them, God lived in the temple. God lived in Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, our Father, everywhere on earth at one time. It's a, it's a term in theology called omnipresence. Presence everywhere. David says again in Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? I can't box you in. I can't say you're here and not there. You are everywhere. In other words, our Father would show the depth of his love, that he loves us like a father should and does in heaven shows us the width of his love, saying there's no place you can go that you can never get away from. It also shows us how something about God's power. In Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. And then if you go down a little bit more, it says, and there was water and the spirit of God was over the water prepositions are important. I've learned this. But when he says over the water, it means this. There's a whole bunch of chaos in the waters. That's where everything bad comes from in in ancient Near Eastern theology and mythology. Everything bad comes from the water. Where was God's spirit? Over it. It's a dominance. I am powerful over this. We see this in Jesus. Jesus is walking on the water. He, the disciples are afraid of drowning in this water, and he he comes out taking a stroll on the lake. Where's Jesus walking? Over the chaos. It's this, it's this, it's this idea that though we're chaotic on the world, God is above it. He's not affected by what chaos we see. So we're having a bad day. Or a bad week where your brakes go out and the door handle doesn't work and the barbecue doesn't work right. We're having that and God is not affected by it. He's over it. He's familiar with it. He sees it. He understands it. But it doesn't change him. His mood is still the same. I'm over all of this. I'm still the father over all of this. I'm still loving even though your world is chaos. Even though the kids are a handful and you snapped, which is totally normal, I'm still loving over this. He sees the rising cost and the dwindling paychecks. He knows that work is unfulfilling at times. He understands it. Why? Because he's God over that. There's no place or no thing that you can go through that doesn't have God's presence in it or over it. He's not unfamiliar with our problems. So when it comes to prayer... How does this work, right? This is great, Brad. How, does this, how do we pray this way? Watch how David does it. David is the excellent prayer warrior in the Bible, right? Psalm 77, it's highlighted multiple colors in, uh, in my Bible at home. It's something that Carrie and I, we love this psalm. Psalm 77 starts out this way. I cried out to the Lord for help to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord at night. I stretched out. Unti- with untiring hands, and I could not be confronted. So what do we look at here? David's going through some stuff, okay? He's got sleepless nights. He can't sleep. He's tossing and turning. Something that David is going through is causing him trouble. Some scholars will say that this is when Absalom rebelled and took over the kingdom. We, we, don't, we can't really know what's going on, but David is having a day. He expresses to God his turmoil and watch the shift. So God, I'm having this issue. Look, it. I'm I'm tired. I can't sleep at night. Then watch what he does. But you are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people with your mighty arm. You redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The water saw you, God. The water saw you and and writhed. Yeah, the depths of the Lord. The depths were convulsed. The clouds. Poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Again, what is water? Fear, troubles, chaos. Your path, you were over the water. Your path went through the water, even though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Do you see what David did? God, I'm having this problem. Father, here's my situation. And then in heaven, what does this do? It gives David comfort. Then I know you can answer my prayers. Why? Because you did it before. You can do it again. You're the God over all situations, including this one. David's turmoil sends David to prayer David's prayer sends him to worship. He goes to the Father. He ends in worship. He remembers what God can do, that God is over the situation that David is going through. And on top of that, God has the power to do something about it. Because of this, he can trust. Your way was through the waters, through my deepest fears, but I was able to follow you because I trusted you. I don't know how we'll make ends meet this month, you might say. But you're the God who owns the cattle of ten, on 10,000 hills, which means God's got some cash. You provide all of this. You've made loaves and fish provide for thousands of people. There's a story in, in Elijah's day in, in Kings about him making oil last for years. Just a little bit of oil. God, you are the God over all of this. So what's that mean? I can trust you. I can trust you with this situation. We appeal to the Father who loves us, who holds every situation together. David understood this. And we, when we understand in heaven enough, we can too. I've learned this in my life. When we're worried, it's impossible to worship. Because you're so focused on what's going on with you. And I'm an expert worrier. If any of you need tips on worrying, come talk to me. I'll give you some things to worry about. But th- when you worry, it's impossible to worship. Because the focus is all on you. The focus is on your problems. You're divided, as Jesus says. You have a divided mind between today and tomorrow, and all the energy is going to today. But God says this, when you worship, when you put me on the right place, which is what worship is, it's elevating God to where he belongs in our lives, it's impossible to worry. David understands this. Our Father in heaven I'm placing you where you belong because when you're where you belong, it's very hard for me to be worried about something. I've noticed the times where I'm most worried are also the times where my time of worship and prayer and scripture reading are diminishing. It's impossible to worry when we worship. Who are we praying to? We're praying to our Father who loves us, who cares for us, who wants the best for us. Where is Our Father in heaven, over every situation you can ever ask or you can ever imagine, he's almighty and all-present. And then the last one is this, our Father in heaven. Do we know the next phrase? Hallowed be your name. Who or what is our Father? Jesus moves from this familiarity of our Father and what a Father should be. He comes to this is where our Father is. And this is what our Father is. In heaven, hallowed be your name. Location matters. How we begin matters. And when we say holy is your name, it says something about God and says something about us. Now, it's important that there's a nuance here in this word holy. We think it's holy, holy, holy like he is so far beyond. But that's not the word that's used. The word's used here and the NIV gets it right. Some translations don't. It's the word hallowed. Which is a word, how many of you used Hallowed this week? <laughs> Me either. Hallowed means this it means to make something holy. It means I'm going to regard you as something different. It's the word hagazo, which you want to say it, don't you? Come on. Agazo, you guys are getting this. It means to render as holy. Sometimes we use the word glorify, uh, which has the Hebrew word of kavod, which means weighty or significant, heavy, important, having the gravitas, we might say. Hallowed means we are putting God in the proper place. God is holy. He doesn't need us to make him holy. He says, regard me as holy, hallowed. Treat me as the holy person I am. I'm going to refer to you as holy because here's the problem. Sometimes our familiarity with people gets us in trouble. We get so familiar with people that we forget who they are. We get too chummy with folks when there really should be a level of respect with this person. And so Jesus is saying, yeah, our Father in heaven, don't get too comfortable with that. Remember who your Father in heaven is uh, when I lived in a warmer climate called California, it didn't have as much green, but we did this thing called surfing quite often and uh one one time we were surfing, and the waves were smaller, they were about this tall, so about one to two feet on the face and uh I, we talked to a lifeguard that day because it was small, and the lifeguard was seemed friendly, wasn't going to kick us out and I asked him, "Is this an easy day for you because the week before there was a hurricane swell, and there were like twelve foot waves coming in, and it was fun. Uh, it, but today was smaller. And I said, which is easier for you, the two foot day or the 10 foot day? And he said, honestly, it's the, te- the, the easiest day is the 10 foot day. Because of this, when you look, when you stand on the beach and you see these large waves coming and crashing and shaking the sand that you're on, you know not to go in that water. If you don't know what you're doing, and I didn't a lot, but I still did. But if you don't know how to respect the ocean, you stay out. And he said this, the problem with the two-foot day is a two-foot wave can knock you off your, yourself, off your feet, just as fast as a 12-foot day. The current is just as strong. You just can't see it. And so people become familiar with it. Oh, it looks calm. It looks refreshing. I'm going to go out there. I can't swim, but I'm going to go out there anyways because what can happen? And all of a sudden, they have to be rescued. What happened? They took it too lightly. They became too familiar, familiar with it. You thought you could relax around the ocean. You have to be on your toes around the ocean. It's wild. It's dangerous. No matter how big the sea is that day. And so the lifeguard told us that sometimes comfort produces apathy. And when that happens, you're more likely to get hurt. And this is what Jesus is saying that he t- he, He's telling us to avoid. Yes, God is close. Yes, He's loving. And yes, He is kind and He understands your situations. But don't forget who what your father is. He's holy. And we need to approach him as the holy one who needs respect. We need to hallow him, glorify him, perhaps not for his sake, but for our own safety. In prayer, we're given the mind-blowing privilege to being in the presence of an almighty God, a presence so powerful and beautiful and good, but also a presence where we should probably wear a helmet because it could be dangerous. Look how Isaiah describes God. Uh, In Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, and if you're curious, it's about 750, 751 BC, I saw the Lord, highly and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were the seraphim, each of them with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces because they can't look at God. And with the other, they covered their feet. And with the two, they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. When something is mentioned three times, it's like, I'm going to double down and I'm going to triple down on what this is. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And so what is a sign of God's holiness? The power and majesty we see around us is It's not God. It's a sign of God. We see his power around us. Uh, at the sound, their voices and the uh, sh- the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. It doesn't sound like a safe place to be standing, right? Isaiah goes on to say that this was a pretty scary place, and he realized that she- he should not be in this place. He needed to be careful. This God of his was stronger than anything he could ever imagine. All creation shows his reputation. All creation shows his power and significance. Yet at the same time, we have the ability to come close and be cared for. But we also need to remember that our, our God is a father, loving, caring, kind, but not taken too lightly. It's a word of warning, really. Uh, one of the things I remember most about my dad, uh, my dad passed seven years ago, six years ago, seven years ago. Uh, one of the things I remember most, and it's weird and I don't know why this is, but I remember my dad's hands. Now he had these huge, thick, strong paws, really. They were more like paws with little nails on them, but they were these hands, Now, I've seen my dad's hands uh, do some some weird things, and my memory might be skewed a little bit than reality. I probably made them bigger than they were. But my dad grew up on a farm, so he was a strong dude. He worked construction for 40 years. He served in the military during Vietnam. He was powerful. In Africa, I saw my dad take a metal piece and bend it like this and make an angle out of it, and I was like, holy cow, how are you doing this? I saw my dad shape concrete. I saw him pick up beams. But I also saw my dad hold his grandchildren. These big, powerful hands take up all of Judah's back. I saw my dad care for my sister and my brothers and myself. I knew that my dad was loving and kind. I knew that he cared for his family and those who were around him. But I also knew that I shouldn't mess with my dad. Because he had this thing that every time we wrestled, didn't matter who I was or how much I was lifting or how in shape I was, I got my butt kicked. He'd let me win every once in a while and whatever. But I knew that my dad was powerful to the point where I'm seeing him in the ICU like a day before he passes. And I know that if he wanted to, he can get up and whoop me right then and there. This was how strong dad was. But yet he loved me. He Cared for me but I had to approach him with a little bit of respect of who my dad is. I had to realize who I'm talking with. In our praying time, when we approach our father in heaven, you're speaking to the one who loves you enough to die for you, to send his son for you, the one who cares for you enough to number the hairs on your head, the one who writes your name on the palm of his hands, but also to the one who made everything around us, also to the one who's holy. When we pray, we run to the loving presence of a father who's tender enough yet big enough to do something about the situations that we're going through and strong enough to fix them and address them. Our father in heaven hallowed be your name. This is who you are, God. This is who you and I pray to. to. And so this whole series is called Teach Us to Pray. And so I want to try this, okay? I want us to take some time to pray. So clear the things off of your laps. Uh, Distractions, phones, iPads, whatever have you. Put them away. Let's try this. We're going to pray just these three phrases, okay? I'll guide you through them. So close your eyes get in the position you want to pray let's try it let's start with the first one our father now think of this think of the expanse of what the father means the love that the father has for you think about how jesus describes his father this is who you're talking to our father Now, in the quiet of your own mind, what does that look like for you? Tell God, our Father. Now, if this is troubling and you have Father wounds, I'm so sorry that you do. But maybe take those Father wounds to God right now. Our Father. Perhaps he wants to Heal some of those wounds that you might have with your father. Our father, next Jesus says, in heaven. So our father, now think of in heaven. Think of the expanse of God. Careful here. Just worship. God, you are beautiful, You hold creation in your hands. The birds cry out your name with every chirp. Now you're not asking for something here. You're just worshiping who this God is. All creation sings your song. You are the father over all situations. In heaven. Over everything. Now, in your heart, what's that look like for you? Say it to God. Next is Hallowed. Think of the power and might that God has. That situation that you know God is over, tell him why he's so powerful he can do something about it. Our Father, you love us. You're the God who controls, who has his hand over all situations it. this is how I know you can do this. This is how I know that you can meet me in my needs. So however your heart and your mind wants to pray that, take some time here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This holy God over every situation is also right next to you now. How we begin matters. And these first three phrases, these first six words in our Bibles tell us that our God is powerful enough and presence enough to meet whatever comes next in our prayers. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So, Father, we come to you today knowing that you are God beyond anything that we could ever imagine, that you hold all of creation in your hands the most powerful mighty God Father we come into your presence today knowing that you are strong enough to meet our needs knowing that nothing that we're going through right now will ever shock you you know about it because you know all but we come to you today. Father, there are people in this room that are hurting and need your touch. Father, they need to know that you're good. They need to know that you love us, that you love them. Father, would you heal those hurts today? you give them a sense of comfort as they enter into your presence father there are people here not knowing what tomorrow brings it's uncertain job losses illnesses uncertainty with home situations God you are God over this as well you know all about those Your presence with them. Lord, would you allow them to experience your presence in that place today? Father, there are some people who just want to know you and experience you this morning. Lord, would you make your presence known and felt in their hearts? in these moments. Father, we thank you that you experienced everything that we've experienced through Christ. You meet us where we are. And on the cross, you said, we, I love you this much. I want to be with you this much. And you saved us there. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your redemption. We Thank you for forgiveness. Lord, as we bask in your presence this morning, would your spirit touch us, fill us, empower us? May we know your closeness. May we know your power. May we know your might and presence.